God. Today is our 21st message, and we are all the way to chapter number 4. Wow, we're killing it, man. Chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 6 and 7 today. But last week, to get a bit of review for those of you that maybe weren't with us, chapter 4 and 5, or verses 4 and 5, what we talked about last week was we were looking at um, the 12 that had been selected. And what was happening is Joshua was actually laying out instructions to those 12. He was telling them what they were about to do. They were going to be developing and building a stone memorial that would be uh, in remembrance of what God had done. Remember what had happened is that the, the waters of the Jordan River had literally been cut off and made into like a wall, and they had crossed over on dry ground. And when we looked at these instructions, what we saw is we saw three different components of this. We saw the first of all was their calling. Now, uh, comparing their calling, what we did was we looked at their calling here specifically to the 12, to the calling that God has upon lots of people in Scripture. And what we saw was there was a consistency there where God not only was calling them to specific, specific people, but he was calling them to do specific jobs. And what we know is the same thing is true today. God is specifically calling individuals, perhaps in the ministry, to giving, whatever it is that God's working in people's lives. But also as a group, he's called us. He's called all of humanity. You and I are supposed to be bringing glory to God's name. Our life is supposed to honor him. People should be able to look at our lives, the conversation of our lives. You see that word in scripture. When it talks about the conversation, it's talking about the words that we speak and the life that we live every day. Then we looked at their preparation. What was happening here is God had prepared these men. We saw the word was in past tense. So he'd already prepared them. What this showed us and what was key here was the fact that the men that were going to be used, God had already prepared them for the job. He had talented or tasked them or given them the skills and abilities that they needed to do it. And what we find is the fact that that's true for us. God gives us talents and abilities. He's given us skills. But the fact is, God doesn't really need our talents or our abilities. God needs our hearts. Those abilities are there to be used for God's glory. But you know what? It's not until he has our heart that we'll actually see anything done. So what happens when we do give him our heart, what starts to happen is our Christian character, our life for Christ starts to shine into the world. And guess what? God receives glory. And suddenly your abilities have a purpose. Use them for yourself. They'll be hollow. There'll be no value to them. Use them for the Lord, man, and you will see great things. Then at last, it brought us to the task. We taught us to the task, what they were intended to do. These men were going to build this monument. And the instructions that they had had two dynamics. The first dynamic was this. There was to look at the worth, these men's individual worth. And what we know here is the fact that these men were selected. They were, according to the eyes of man, because Joshua had chosen them, we know they were worthy in his eyes. But guess what? They were also worthy in God's eyes. These men were called to the task. And what we know is, what we, by studying them, it's like these 12 would have been, we could describe them in two ways, as humble and submissive, right? They had given themselves to the authorities, they submitted themselves to the authorities in their lives. And you and I, we looked at that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be submitting to those that are in authority in our lives. That's how we honor the Lord. The second dynamic was this, the fact that there was a weight to what it was they were doing. There was a physical weight, certainly. They're going and gathering stones. These great big stones are going to put them on their shoulders and they're going to trudge back out of the, the, the riverbed. So there's that weight there. But also at the same time, there's another weight. Remember that these men were specifically tasked to select the rocks. This is a memorial that's supposed to sit there forever. So now there's the pressure of making sure they pick the right one. So there's the, not only the physical weight, but there's also the emotional and the spiritual strength or, or weight that they're feeling at the same time. And we said we simply compared that weight to the weight that we bear as Christians, the responsibility that we have. Because guess what we're supposed to be doing in the lives of people all around us? We're supposed to be establishing a landmark of faith in the lives of the people around us. And there's a weight to that. There's a responsibility. There is, there is effort involved. 
So this morning, as we pick back up with the Israelites, what's going to happen here is we're going to shift away from the 12. They're all ready to go. Ready? Those guys are like, let's do this. And what's happened now, Joshua's going, okay, folks, this is what this is all about. So now he's addressing the people in our message this morning titled Forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today, God, for giving us this opportunity where we can come as a body, Lord, to learn, uh, to hear from you, Father. And you know that I have prayed over this message. I have labored over this message, Lord. This one has been, uh, it has been some work. And, uh, Lord, I just wanted to do it right. Not what I want, but what you wanted. And uh, I feel confident that we're at that point now. So, Lord, I just pray that you help me to get out of the way. Let my humanity not be an issue in this message. Lord, I pray that, Father, you will take this message and you use it for our glory, Lord, that we might receive from you what we need so that our lives might make a difference for your name. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7. It says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So we hear, we see here what Joshua's talking about in regards to what's about to happen. These Israelite men, the 12, they're standing at the riverbed. They're ready to walk in. So what's happening is he's addressing what's going to be important about this memorial. Why is this long lasting? What's the significance of this thing? And what we're going to do this morning is kind of understand why is these, why are these rocks important? Why are these rocks important? Understand it's not the rocks themselves. It's not the stones, right? There's no magical power in the stones, This is not going to be a place where you're going to come and worship at the stones. No, they're just stones. They're just plain old rocks. But what happens with stones is the fact that there are stones that can have greater significance than just being what they're made of. Whoever's been to a gravesite before, right? When we go to a gravestone, now it's a piece of stone, just a piece of stone. But there's a name on it that means something to us. There's dates on there that mean something to us. There's perhaps a phrase that means something to us. There's a greater significance to it. But when we go to the grave, we don't run up and hug the grave and kiss on the grave. You don't bring a gift or a shirt and slip it over the grave, right? You don't bring it a snack. No, because you understand in your mind this is just a hunk of rock. But at the same time, if someone was going to go out and damage it, would you step in? Yeah, because in the whole earth, there's no stone like that stone, not because of the stone itself, but because of who it represents. And when I was a young man, a kid, 13 years old, I was given an opportunity to go on a trip. I was at the American Institute for Foreign Studies, and God only knows why they let me go. I have no idea why. I was not a good student. I was terrible. But I was like, man, go to France. Let's do it. Right? And I raised the money, and boy, there we go. And, what, you know, and I went on that trip. And then, you know, being a stupid kid full of self and sin and not knowing anything else, I didn't think anything about necessarily the stuff that I was seeing. But what happened was they took us to a place called Normandy. Back in World War II in 1944. American forces and allied forces came to the borders, to the, to, the, to, the, to the shores of France. And the Germans and the Russians were set in, and Europe was on the cusp of falling. France was in a horrible way. And the allied forces came, and hundreds of thousands of men poured off of ships, and they came on foot and walked into enemy fire. And in, the, in that battle, 
Hundreds of thousands of people died, innocent as well as soldiers. And when I went to that beach as a stupid 13-year-old kid who didn't think about anybody but himself, when you show that picture, there's over 11,000 lives of Americans represented just there. And when I stood there and I looked at those stones, man, it was impactful. But then I started to go and read the names and see where they were from and how old they were. Some of them were 18 years old, 19 years old. It wasn't the stones that made me cry in that place. It was the lives of those heroes that was significant. And you see, that's it. See, these stones are not relevant. It's not about the stones. It's about what it represents and who it represents. It's all about him. It's about God. So understanding what these these stones truly are, why they're significant, let's jump into this memorial that we're going to see here. First of all, in this memorial, we're going to look at its significance. Now, we look at this in verse 6. It says this, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Now, in this thing, we look at the significance. Now, there's three aspects to the significance that God gave me to look at. First of all, when first looking at this, the opening phrase, look what it says, that this may be a, a sign. So let's consider the sign. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul makes a statement and he says this, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews, okay? That's a specific people group. Guess who the Greeks are? Everybody else. So guess what it says here? That you and I, we seek wisdom. We seek knowledge. That's what, that's what we need. But guess what the Jews need? They required a sign. So guess what God gave them? He gave them signs. That's you see it throughout Scripture. And you have all these people in the world that, man, it's all about the signs. Man, the power of the Spirit of God and doing this and healings and da-da-da-da-da, all these things. But what you find is if you go into Scripture and you actually pay attention, you know what you find out? The audience for those signs is almost every single time. It's not Greeks. It's Jews. Because guess what? Jews require a sign. You know what he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 22? He says, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. He says, look, and these signs aren't for a bunch of church members to get around and go, man, this is great. You see what we're saying? Woo! No. He goes, guess what? It ain't for you guys. It's for the one that doesn't believe. God's trying to get their attention. And it isn't for the Greek. It's for the Jew. That's just for those of you that are hung up on signs. Anyway, that was a little bonus. But what we look at is the fact that God is talking about the miraculous power. And when I saw that line and it talked about the sign, it made me think back to Exodus. Remember, we spent 100 messages in Exodus. God only knows how Joshua's going to be. I don't know. We might have you 300 messages. We'll just have to see. But back in Exodus 13, there's a statement there. Now, Exodus 13, to give you the context, what's taking place? Exodus 13, this is just after they've been delivered. So we've just experienced where the, the, the death angels come in and they've just come out of Egypt, okay? So now what happens is he's going to reference and teach them about the Passover. He's explained to them what the Passover is relevant to. It's all about the delivering power of God through the blood of a Passover lamb. And that lamb would cause the death angel to pass over the home, thus redeeming them from the curse of death. That is a picture of our salvation. But remember, now in this Joshua, now you guys, I've hammered it over and over again. Up to this point, the word Passover, guess how many times it's shown up so far? 
nine different times. God keeps using the word Passover, 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 Passover. He's trying to tell us to look back. Now, let's go back to Exodus 13, verses 9 through 12. And it shall be for a sign, God's referencing the Passover, unto thee upon thine hand, something physical, and for a memorial between thine eyes, something mental, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, something spiritual. So I'm something giving you something physical, mental, and spiritual. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. He says, so you need to remember. The reason why we're doing this Passover is so you remember what I did for you. The significance of this. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season for year to year. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of Canaanites. Listen to this. This is 40 years before we are where we are today. 40 years. Way back in Exodus 13, look what God says. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites where they're standing right now. As he swear unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart, sanctify unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, that means any that's born, every firstling that cometh of a beast, which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. You give unto me, make, give unto me, sanctify yourself unto me, your belongings. Exodus 14, 14 says this, and it shall be, look at this wording, and it shall be when thy sons asketh thee in time to come, saying, what is this Passover? What, right? That thou shalt say unto him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. When they ask you what this Passover is about, you make sure to tell them what it's about. Your kids need to know. So what we see is what's happening here is the, the Passover in conjunction with this memorial, almost like bookends. What we see is one commemorating them coming out, the other commemorating them going in, right? One coming out, one going in. It wasn't just about getting them out of the bondage of slavery. It wasn't just about freeing them. No. It was about getting them into the promised land. That was the whole point. And I've given you the example of force uh, in the past about marriage. Right? What does it say in Genesis 2.24? Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Okay. We hear that. You're supposed to leave. Okay. So you're supposed to come out. And then you're supposed to go in, right? So getting, when we get married, it's not just about being free from our parents' home. Thank God I'm out of there. <laughs> you were the saving grace for me. Man, I'm so glad you got me out of there. Whoo, okay. Brother, that was great. No, that's not the joy at the wedding ceremony. It's the joy of them coming together to form a new life. So it wasn't the coming out of the home. It was the cleaving Unto our spouse, this new life, those two shall be one flesh. Now a new life is formed, a new abundant life, right? That's what this is about. Listen to this. You and I, understand, we were born into sin. We were in our father's house. But guess who our father was? Not God. Satan. We're born into sin. Experience, look at Ephesians 2, verses 2 through 5. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, those that are lost, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. That's where we come from, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We're just like everybody else. We were lost and undone. Verse 4, oh here, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. Quickened means brought to life spiritually. Quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. He says, I did that. Not so that you would wander in the wilderness. That wasn't the point. 
That was just a byproduct. The wilderness wasn't to get you out of Egypt. It was get the Egypt out of you. Beat the garbage, the garbage that you were bringing with you. Get rid of that stuff so that you could get into that abundant life. Listen, John 10, verses 7 through 10. The Lord says this, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. We're the sheep. He says, I'm the door. I'm the pathway. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Praise God. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. When you see that term pasture, it means rest. He's going to give us rest. Verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy, but I am come that they might have life, period. Nope, that's not what it says. Yeah, life, I'm going to bring you out, absolutely. But I didn't bring you out that I didn't want to take you in because the next part says, and that they might have it more abundantly. I didn't just give you salvation. I saved you for the purpose that your life would be in fellowship with me, that your life would bring glory to God's name. That's why you're here. If you're saved and that's all you've got, man, you're just standing in the wilderness, twiddling your thumbs. And God say, no, knucklehead over here. With milk and honey, it's over here. What? What? That's how most people go through their Christian lives. And God said, hey, come to me. Come to me. And we will have sweet fellowship. He wants us in his promised land. So this memorial, this sign is a marker of the entrance into the abundant life with Christ. And then the second part. How does it impact us, this memorial? The significance individually. And it says here in verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. So this memorial is personal. It's something that they're going to be around. It's it's going to reveal and, and display the power of God in these people's lives. So what it's saying is it's among them. It's going to be a part of them. It's a part of their daily lives. It's a part of their identity. This is something that they see every day. The generation, this generation of Israelites, these are ones that experienced what God just did, right? They just walked across on dry ground. They have personal experience with it. So not only do they have faith in the situation, but guess what? They not only had faith and were willing to trust God, but they actually acted upon it and are now standing in the promised land. So the reason why this memorial is significant to them It's because it reminds them of how they got where they are. Think about that. It reminds them of how they got where they are. Because guess what? If we're not careful, and we don't cautiously remember what God's done in our life, our humanity has a tendency to step into the spotlight. It loves to be important. Loves to be important. And if there's no memorial there, to remind them would not be long for the amazing stories of heroism of how the brave and mighty Israelites made their way to Canaan, right? Instead of a bunch of trembling, sniveling wieners that are all like, like this. And God's like, let me do this for you. Whoa, just walk across, right? God is the one that gets the glory. Humanity wants the glory. Can you just imagine that? Imagine people taking the work of God and attributing it to humanity. Guess what? That's what our culture is doing right now. See, the danger is when we lose sight of who God is and the power he's done in our lives as a culture, guess what? We start to make it all about us. So what we see here is this, 1 Peter 5 
verses 5 and 6. What we find here is the fact that God wants us to remember our memorial, to remember who it is or what it is that we look to. Because recognize the fact that you and I have been given a memorial. It's right here. Ooh, I'm going to myself in the head. Right here. <laughs> That'd be a good way to go out, knock them in the head by a Bible. I wouldn't, I'd take that. So here's our memorial. God's given it to us. And bottom line is you and I have an opportunity every day to go to this Bible, to make sure that we're not the hero of our story, because that's our tendency. We want to be important. But remember, God redeemed us. God's the one that, that did the work in our life. He's the one that cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We are not who we are because of who we are. We're who we are by the grace of God. If not for God, we would not even exist. We would be nothing. We wouldn't even be dust. But yet God created us and he gave us life. Remember this in 1 Peter 5, 6. We, or we looked at this last week. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. This is all about understanding, learning how to submit, learning how to realize that we're not, it's not all about us. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. That means when I look at you, your outside appearance, what I would see is humility. That would be the, designate, or the, the thing that designated you or, or appeared to the world. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What is God being in, daily, in God's word daily? What does it do? It reminds us who we are. And it reminds us how good God truly is. Again and again, it resonates off of the page. So we see the significance individually. But now, let's look at it generationally. Generationally. Look at what it says here in verse 6. And when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Right? So Joshua's no longer addressing the, the generation that saw this. Now he's addressing those that are to come. Because understand, Joshua knows that over time, even if there is a memorial, what's going to happen? Mm. The stories of the miraculous power of God that the first generation is going to tell with fire in their bellies, and they're going to, man, you won't believe what God did. Get to the next generation, man, it was amazing. You should have seen it. Third generation, whew, I heard some great stuff happened over there. Fourth generation, guess what? Gets lost. And here we go. And then it takes a, a question about a weird pile of stones. What mean ye by these stones? Hey, Dad. What's that pile of rocks for? They don't have a clue. They don't walk by it and go, oh, my goodness, Dad, there's the memorial of what God did. Do you see it, Dad? Do you see it? No, they go, what's that pile of rocks for? That's what he's telling us. Hey, be careful. Be careful. Did you notice who he asks? Fathers. Fathers. As we celebrate fathers today, listen, man. We've been given the most important job in the world. We get to model Christ to our family. In our relationship with our wives, the Bible says it's supposed to be just like Christ and the church. A love that's sacrificial. As for our children, what do we get to be as fathers? We get to model the father. We can model the relationship that a Christian should have with their spiritual father. That should be mirrored in our own. It's so important. Because guess what? There are a lot of kids out there who do not have that. And the question we have to ask ourselves as fathers, is that what we're doing? Do our kids know who God is? Do they know about the memorial? 
do they know about this book? Or is it possible that they might walk into our home as a father or a grandfather and they might look at that book and they say, what be about this book? They might ask a question just like the Israelites would say. Because the memorial, we didn't share, we didn't talk, we didn't teach. And it just becomes a book sitting on a shelf with a bunch of dust on it. We're doing our job. Because Joshua's warning is, hey, the generations to come, they're going to ask you about those stones. And you know what you need to do? You need to have an answer to instruct. And the Bible tells us that what's what we're supposed to do. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy, verses 11, 18 through, chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, it says, Therefore shall ye lay up thy, these my words, God says, in your heart. Learn my word in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they be frontlets between your eyes. He says, make my word a part of who you are. Verse 19, and ye shall teach them your children. Speak of them my words. When thou sittest in thine house, listen, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up, every part of your life should scream of who I am. Amen. They should see my word in your life. Father, is that what you're doing? And thou shalt write them upon the doors of the posts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children, and the day which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the, as the days of heaven upon the earth. Guys, children are always going to have questions. That's a fact. Why is the sky blue? Hmm. Why do birds sing? Hmm. These are good questions. But guess what? They're going to ask big questions too. Where did I come from? How do I know God's real? Right? And as they ask those questions, guess what? We need to have answers. And if you have a Bible, you have a memorial, guess what? You have answers. So next, let's look at the impact of this memorial. Verse 7 says this. Then shall ye answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So this is their, going to be their response to their children. This is what they're supposed to say. What do we see here? These Israelites are prepared to speak. They know what it is they're supposed to tell. Not only on the subject of who God is and his glory, but guess what? Also what God has done. They're going to share of God's work, giving honor to God. Because of what he's accomplished I need tissue. in their life. What they personally experienced. And guess what? The same is true for us. You and I need to be ready to speak. Because guess what? People are going to have questions. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15. What does he say? But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Right? Why? Do I have hope in my heart? Because I am a child of the king. How do you know you're a child of king? Because the word of God says that I am, and God's proven it in his word, and he's never, ever wrong. Let me show you what God showed, what somebody showed me. The night Tony shared the gospel with us, man, I didn't know anything about anything. But I wanted to hear. I had questions. And thank God they used the Bible to give us answers. And see, that's this whole thing. This doesn't mean you need to hold up, know the whole Bible back to back. Because people go, man, that means you need to know the entire scripture. You need to be a theologian just in case somebody asks you any question. You've got to answer every single question they come up with. No. I don't care who you are. You don't have all the answers. None of us do. What's the hope that lies in me? It's my personal experience of what God's done in my life. How has this book changed me? How has this book impacted me? That's what you need to be ready to share. 
Don't hide it under a bushel. Your light is the Word of God and what it's done in your life. So when people come to you and they ask a question, man, be willing to speak up and say, this is what God did. This is how God brought hope into my life. This is when I found myself at a broken point in time and I turned to the Word of God. And you know what He showed me? Is I didn't have to fight the battles myself. The battle was God's. All I had to do was be faithful and God would take care of the fruitful part. He would handle my issues. If the Bible said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, they'd be added unto me. God would fight for me. He loved me. That Word told me that. And suddenly, someone who has no hope says, well, maybe there's some hope in that Bible for me. That's the joy of it. It's your testimony. What's your testimony? This is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is who I am now, after having met Jesus. That's it, man. How many of us can do that? That's simple. Just tell your story, because that points people to the Savior. But when it comes down to the questions that people are going to ask, guess what? You and I will never, ever have the answers. We just don't. We have earthly wisdom. God has heavenly wisdom. Our job is not to answer questions. It's to point them to the one who has the answers. If you come to me for counsel and you sit in my office with me, you know what? I'm not going to go, well, by years of experience, let me tell you what you need to do. No, I'm going to go, you know what? Let's just see what the Bible says. Because I'm going to steer you wrong. I guarantee you that. Because I ain't nobody. Right? That's what we do. We point people here. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Because it's our dependence upon God that brings peace in the midst of storms and confusion that fear will bring. And if you have not experienced that, let me just tell you, it's coming. You will experience fear. You're going to experience confusion. You're going to feel, experience hopelessness. That's just what life is going to do. And if you seek your wisdom outside of the world, you try to go to the advice of some counselor who's going to tell you something from worldly wisdom, guess what? It's going to steer you into a circle, and you're going to end up right back where you started. God has the answers to our problems. There's one place we go. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We come with all this confusion and fear, and if we'll come to the Lord with a broken heart and say, God, will you help me? Guess what he will do? He will give us peace that passeth all understanding. That means anyone from a worldly perspective that looks into your life goes, that does not make sense. How in the world can you have joy in a moment like this? Because I have a peace that passeth all understanding. It's the presence of God. Our kids, as well as others, guess what? They're always going to have questions. Our job is to point them to him, the Father. And as fathers, if we're doing our job, our kids aren't going to come into our house and say, what mean you by this book? Because we poured into them. We've told some things like 1 Corinthians 29, 11 says this. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou, shalt, thou art exalted as head above all. If our kids know a verse like that, you go, what, you know, where did I come from? Guess what? God created you. How did this earth get here? Guess what? God made it. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. God created time, matter, space, and by him all things consist. Listen, the world is going to tell them that God is a crutch, that God is a myth, that God is a legend, that God is a fairy tale. And what you've got to do is ground this word in your life. Relate your story to the memorial. My grandfather was one of the ones that walked across those stones, son. And he told me the land was dry. It's real. Remember him through these stones, son. So when you walk by those, you reverence those stones, not for what they are, who they represent, what he did for us. And you know what? When we tell our story, it has an impact. And we were at our, we had our men's breakfast a few weeks ago. Thank you guys for being there. And what's interesting is Calvin was there. And Calvin sat and listened. We were sitting around tables, and I had everybody that was just talking, sharing testimonies of what God had done in their life. And Calvin was sitting and listening. And he was like, can I, can I share? Calvin, how old are you? Nine. And he said, can I share? We're like, yeah. And he started telling us his mom's story. My mom grew up in Russia. And she was a part of a church that was hard. And she didn't see God in it. She saw judgment and she saw pain. And she saw dependence upon people being dependent upon something that was wrong. And when she came to the United States looking for a better life, people invited her to church. And she's like, I'm good. I've already tried that. I don't need that in my life. And God worked on her heart. And then someone laid on, God laid on my heart to plant this church on this corner. And they drove by this building. And she's like, you know what? Let's just go check it out. And the third time she was here, her hand went up in the service. And she got saved. Amen. And from that, her two boys have gotten saved. And God has changed her life. And change their life. See, that's the power of your story related to the memorial. It changes things. And there's nothing sweeter that we can give to our children or anyone else than for them to reverence God. And you learn to reverence God because you reverence God's word. It's key. It's absolutely key. And if you say up to this point, you know what? I haven't done that. Hey, maybe you haven't done it in your own life. Whatever. Change it. We can't change yesterday, but we can change tomorrow. We can change later today. We have the power to do just that. And what will happen is Almighty God will speak to you from those pages, and he will pour into your heart and give you what you need. If you come with a hungry heart, he will feed you. So we've seen so far the significance of this memorial. Recognize its significance as a sign which celebrated the entry into the promised land. We've recognized its significance individually as a daily reminder of God's power to those who experienced it. We've recognized its significance generationally as we've noticed it as a marker that perpetuates God receiving glory for years to come. And we've seen the memorial, memorial as, an, as, a, as we've seen the memorial's impact as the story of God's power was tied directly to it. And lastly, we'll see its legacy. And these stones shall be for memorial unto the children of Israel. Forever. So immediately we see who the memorial is for. Okay? The memorial is not for God. 
This memorial is for them. God does not need a memorial. Guess what? He remembers everything. He doesn't need to be reminded of a thing. But because of their humanity, they will need to be constantly reminded of God's faithfulness and limitless power just because of who they are. Remember, look at the word memorial. What's the root of memorial? Memory. It's about remembering. But you see, our memories, when it comes to God, sometimes they can be a little weak. Because what we can do is many times we'll have something that's a concern in our heart, something we really, really, really want, something we're praying for a salvation, something good. And we pray to God about it. And we pray to God about it. We pray to God about it. And we do it day after day after day after day. We might do it year after year after year after year. And we're diligent and we're fervent in prayer. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. And then God answers our prayer and we're like, praise God. He answered my prayer. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Let's say we went five years into that prayer. How does the thanks continue? How long does the thanks continue? Does it go for five years usually? No. When we want something, we don't forget. But when we receive it, eh, maybe a month or so. Lord, that was great. Man, thanks for answering that prayer. That was really awesome. But eventually it becomes a distant memory. Until a picture pops up, a song plays, we read a letter from that time. All of a sudden it floods back. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, yes, yes. But see, because we're human, our memories have a tendency to fade. It's just what happens. But see, the fact is, God didn't give us some dead, inanimate stone memorial. No. He gave us a living book. The Spirit of God, if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And when you take the magical quality of the Word of God and you mix it together with the Spirit of God, you know what happens? This book comes to life and it suddenly speaks to you on levels that you had no idea it possibly could. And it hits you at just the right time. God will take you to just the right place and give you just what you need. It is amazing. It's been sitting here for all these years. No one's changed the wording. No one's rearranged it. Yet God, through the Spirit of God, will take you where you need to be, twist you through it, and you go, holy moly, I've never seen that before. I've read that 10,000 times. I've never seen it like that. And all of a sudden, it just goes, whack. And you're like, wow. That's a living book, a living memorial. That's the beauty of this thing. It's not inanimate. It is alive. God didn't give us this book just to instruct us. No. It's important for that, no doubt about it. But it's not just that. He gave us his eternal, supernatural book to be a living memorial. Because as human beings, what happens to us, as our memory starts to fade, we start to lose sight of where we are. Our hope begins to waver. We find ourselves in an emotional state. We know what we should do, but we find ourselves not doing it. We know where we should turn, but for some reason we've isolated ourselves from it. We know we should be in church, but for some reason we don't want to go. I know I should pray, but for some reason I just don't feel like I can pray. And that word's sitting over there. I feel it calling me. But you know what? I'm not going to open it. He gave us this book. So when we go to it and we open it up, Not only does he remind us of his faithfulness and his limitless power, 
but he reminds us of his forgiveness and his grace. His long-suffering and his love. And we realize that the whole time he's been there just like the prodigal father. Just waiting. Just waiting. 1 Peter 1.23 says this, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today and the gift of your word. Thank you for the way that you have spoken to our hearts, Lord. I know if no one else in this room got a thing from that, Lord, I was fed, and I am so thankful. I'm not worthy to be called your son, yet you do. Lord, as our heads are bowed and as our eyes are closed, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we will be mindful of not only who we are, but whose we are and the memorial you've given us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be dependent upon this word. Help it feed us, strengthen us, and help us to be used by you to change this world. There are broken people all around us, hopeless people all around us. Let's open our mouths and share the truth. Lord, I pray that you give my brothers and sisters boldness. I pray that, God, you'll give them what they need, that they might be soldiers for the cross. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know even where I stand with God. Listen, 19-some years ago, I was sitting in a room and had no clue who God even was. I'd never heard the gospel. I'd never cried out to God. I'd never prayed before. I'd cursed God. I'd screamed. I'd been angry, but I knew nothing about him. And when Tony took the Bible and showed me who Christ was, and I realized that he loved me in spite of who I was, and the fact that he had died on the cross and paid the price for the sins of the world, and I could be included in that, and he would pay the price for me, and he would redeem me. I went from sitting there so filled with pride to being broken and humble and slid to my knees beside my wife and prayed and asked God to save us. And listen, if you're here today and you've never done that, I'm going to just tell you this. God's waiting on you. If you're online, you're watching this recorded, he's waiting on you. All you have to do is respond. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the gift. And a gift is being offered to you right this second, which is redemption through the blood of Christ. He loves you right where you are in your broken condition. He's willing to redeem you even now. But if you'll call out to him, his loving hand will come down and touch you and he will save you. But you've got to choose to receive him. Remember, it's a gift. A gift has to be received. So with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you're here in this room and you say, look, I've been in church my whole life. I don't care. This is not about your church experience. This is not about your Bible experience or your knowledge. This is about your heart. God's calling your heart. And if he's calling you, all you have to do is respond. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, this is not a ceremony. It's not a magic prayer. This is a broken heart calling out to him. So as he calls out to you, if you'll respond, he'll save you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. No one's listening. God's going to be listening. He's listening to your heart even now. So with their heads bowed, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for all that I've done. I trust and believe that you love me in spite of myself. 
that you died on the cross for my sins. That on the third day, you were resurrected, be defeating death, hell, and the grave. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to come into my life, to forgive me of sin, and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bowed.